0: Okay, we are live. Welcome to another edition of the Edlo podcast. Well, we're not live, we're recording, but um, subscribe. That's what i supposed to stay if you haven't done so already. This is a good one. I have author and uh, speaker Sandy Phillips Kirkham here, author of the book Let Me Pray Upon You, which is kind of blurry. For some reason, I get blurry, but you can see it right there. So, Miss Kirkham. Uh, thanks for coming on. This is going to be a topic that, um, you know, a sensitive topic. And let me ask you, you know, I know it took a long time for you to come out yes. um, and and talk about this. And you mentioned in your book at the very beginning uh, a trigger of driving by and seeing the exit sign of where the guy lived. Um, Tell me what it was that finally made you want to come out and share information about what we'll just call it clergy abuse that you suffered.
1: Well, my intentions were never to talk about it. Um, I was 49 before I came forward. um, And for me, it was about how long I could keep this secret from my husband, my friends, my family. I was embarrassed about it. I felt guilty about it. And so once it was over, in my mind, I was just going to go on with my life and that would be the end of it. Now I had triggers throughout the 27 years that I remained silent, but I was always able to kind of control them. But what really set me on this journey was one day I had a trigger that I couldn't control. I describe it in the first chapter of my book and it was a watershed. It was like an eruption of a volcano. I couldn't stuff these emotions back down and it occurred to me that I needed to do something with this because it it wasn't going to go back like anything else I'd tried before. And I didn't really know that I couldn't really identify why I was feeling this way because it had been 27 years and I'd been happily married and sent me on the journey to, I finally found my best friend.
0: hmm. Yeah. You know, let me ask you over the years, for the 27 years that you were quiet, did you have did, did, did this affect your life in any way?
1: Oh, yes. Because first of all, I think when you try to hide a secret that big, it, it, you, it takes a lot of energy. And I worry that someone, you know, he was caught. So there were people in the church who knew about it. So there were people who didn't know about it. And I always feared somehow that would get out some way and people would start to talk. I did run into a couple of old church members one time in a very unusual place. Back to me that, oh my gosh, that, you know, they know about me and they know what I did. Um, and so living with a secret and trying to hide it, it takes a lot of energy. I also think in, in my married life, I, I, my husband and I have a great relationship. But when you keep something so big from your spouse, that affects it in some ways that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you don't trust them to a point where you want to tell them this. And so, yeah, and I also had triggers, I, I had to find ways where I would actually have an anxiety attack. And I, I had to pretend that everything was okay. Um, and there's one incident in the book that was just over the top for me. And I had to run to the bathroom and throw cold water on my face because I couldn't let anyone know that I was having this anxiety attack because first of all, they're going to ask what the problem is. And I didn't want to have to tell them.
0: So when you... Um, well, let me ask, what, what was it... Why? What what was the reason why you were so afraid to even just tell your spouse?
1: I mean, did you think that they
0: would? Did did they think that they you were they were going to think something less of you that you were like a willing participant or?
1: Well, he wouldn't have ever thought that. But let me just back up a little bit. You know, predators brainwash their victims into believing that no one's ever going to believe them, and Mm -hmm. if you do tell someone, then you are going to be blamed for that. And I was t- kicked out of the church for my behavior. He was not. He was given a going away party. He was sent to another church and he continued on in ministry. I was called in by the elders and told because of my behavior, I was to leave the church. So I, and, and it was devastating to me. I love that church. I was active in the church. It was part of my life that I can never really get back. But when that happened, that only reinforced what he had told me. You're going to be blamed if you tell anyone. And the other thing is, once you keep a secret for so long, it becomes mammoth in its size. And so that you start to not really see it for what it is, but you just believe the secret is so big that you can never let it out. And the longer you keep it, the more you feel like I've got to keep it in. And I I did worry about whether I would be believed, but I was also worried about being judged, not so much by my husband, but my friends. Um it was just easier not to tell anyone, it was just easier. And I, I also just knew that if I spoke those words, I was sexually abused by my youth pastor, that once I said him, I couldn't take them back. And so it was easier to protect the secret.
0: Yeah. You know, th- that part that you, you brought up about how you um, were were judged by the elders of the church and ultimately kicked out for your behavior. What was the rationale for kicking you out versus throwing him a party? What do you believe that was about?
1: Well, first of all, he was called in. Once he was caught, he was called in by the elders and gave his narrative his story. I was never called Mm -hmm. in by the elders and asked any questions, whatever he Mm -hmm. said. Now, you have to also remember this was a very charismatic man. People treated him like a rock star. And so and he brought money into the church. He brought people into the. For them, it was not wanting to lose this man. And and when when I talk about a predator grooming a victim, they also groom the entire congregation. So people just look up to him and they believe him. And I think the other thing is, um, it was easy to say she's pretty. She seduced him. She went after him, and there, by the grace of God, go I. Um, And for whatever reasons, they decided that I was responsible and that I should leave the church. Now, keep in mind, I was 16 when this started. His first kiss, I was 16. Mm -hmm. The abuse lasted for five years. So I was 21 when it ended. So Mm -hmm. he had told them that it had only been going on a year, which made me 20. And a year, you know, it was a year. And so I think they felt like, you know, she's the one that caused this. I'm sure that's what he told them. And it, it was it easier to blame the victim than to deal with the prep, perpetrator.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so hard. And and I, that was something I wanted to touch on. One of the things that I found, I, I haven't finished your book, but I've read a, a pretty good amount of it. And one of the things that was so interesting was, you, you mentioned it here earlier, how charismatic he was. There was a quote you used in the book that says, abusers often hide behind good deeds, kind words, and a good reputation in public. They cultivate such things for the purpose of deception. So the thing that's hard about that is, how do you separate somebody who genuinely, authentically is trying to do right and trying to be good versus somebody who's an abuser? Because like, I'm a parent, right? And I have cute girls are 14 and 12. So if right. if there's some leader at my church who's just taking an interest in my kids, how, how do I know that this is somebody who is an abuser versus somebody who's just authentically? Well,
1: person? I think one thing. Right. So one of the things is to trust your gut. I mean, there were many people who said to me afterwards, you know, I always wonder that one time when he said, da, 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 da or you know, I remember he took you aside one time and I thought that was kind of odd. There are ba- behaviors that if we have our antenna up, we can see. So sometimes when your gut feeling tells you he's spending too much time or why has he chosen this particular person to do more things with? Because um, isolation is another one of their, their techniques because they have to isolate the victim eventually or they will tell. Um, with a clergy or a teacher or a coach, we tend to give them a little more trust because of who they are. Gosh, he's mm-hmm. a great teacher or he's a, he's the pastor for crying out loud. You know, why would he do anything he shouldn't be doing? If there's behavior in him that you wouldn't accept from your 30-year-old neighbor down the street, mm-hmm. then you should not accept it in him. And this man was very demonstrative. He would hug. He would very... Tell people that he loved them, men and women alike. Just as I don't want to say this because it's so negative, these men, sometimes women, are very clever. They're clever, so it's it's not always easy to spot them. Doesn't mean we go around looking at every person who's a good person, but there are signs if we if we watch and pay attention um, that sometimes we can pick them. up. And the main one is that they're spending too much time with one individual,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: are they spending it alone? Um, yeah. And then I say, watch for cues from your daughters or from whoever, if they seem uncomfortable or there's a change in behavior. Um, You know, if Uncle Jimmy wants to take you, take your child to the park and everybody loves Uncle Jimmy and he all of a sudden says, you know, I don't want to go to the park with Uncle Jimmy. The normal response would be, why not? You love Uncle Jimmy. Jimmy's so nice. Now you go ahead and go with Uncle Jimmy. That's a red flag. He's telling you in mm. a roundabout way. He doesn't want to go with Uncle Jimmy. You know, if mm. someone's going to church and they're involved in church, and all of a sudden they don't want to go, you know, there's just explore it. I mean, ask questions. And certainly, yeah. I one of the things I told my grandchildren is, good people can do bad things because we do, mm. because we don't want people our kids to be looking at everyone as a bad person, but they also need to recognize that sometimes. Good people can do bad things, and and mm-hmm. that that brings that awareness in.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's just there are so many questions I'm sure that you've asked yourself a thousand times that I'm sure a lot of people would ask you. Like, in you describe the first time he kissed you in his house, you were alone, and how you were so confused. Can you talk about from the perspective of somebody who has been abused like this, what goes through your mind and and why it is that you don't immediately have an adverse reaction in that circumstance?
1: Okay, so first of all, it's someone that you trust. It's someone that you probably looked up to. It is someone that has probably groomed you, meaning they have established this false trust by... Caring about you, meeting your needs, because they 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 seek out vulnerable people. So they try to meet their needs in order to get that victim long before anything sexual starts to become dependent on them and need them. So when it happens, it's you know usually it's very subtle. Sometimes it starts with a sexual text. It can be just a rub against the thigh. Um, Mine was just this kind of this quick innocent kiss. So that. It can somewhat be explained away if I were to respond. But my initial reaction was, this is my pastor. He wouldn't do anything he shouldn't be doing. And it was kind of a quick kiss, so maybe I misunderstood it. And because he was always hugging people and telling them he loved them, I thought, well, this is his way of showing how much he appreciates all the work I do in the church. So that's how I rationalized it. Because if I didn't rationalize it, then I had to accuse my pastor of doing something very evil, which wasn't even in my mind to be able to think that way. The other thing is when something like that happens, the brain almost shuts down in order to protect itself. It's almost like there's this frozen fear and then it happens and you're trying to process it, but your brain is trying to tell you it's not what you think it is. Even though if you step back from it, Again, like he didn't just push me up against the wall and try to kiss me. I mean, that would have gotten a reaction out of me. Like, oh my gosh, he's, it was just as, you know, he was telling me how much he cared for me, how much he was appreciative of how I was working in the church. I mean, it was, I was on cloud nine, you know, thinking, oh, this great man is really impressed with my work in the church. And then he just slowly bent down and kissed me. And, and then, you know, and then he would say to me, you know, that was something special between the two of us. And so it was like, that's how I had to accept it in order to mm.
0: at least deal with it yeah you know that's it's, it's interesting it's interesting that you bring this up because one of the things that i found really interesting as i was reading your book was you shared a lot about your background particularly when it came to your parents divorce and some mm-hmm. of the feelings that you felt in not being able to see your bat your dad and then having you know mm-hmm. having half brothers and sisters born that kind of took away some of the attention from your parents And I just found that so interesting when you started getting into the story because it it kind of almost like kind of an abandonment issue, if you want to call it that way, resulted in when this guy, this charismatic guy is giving you attention that you were longing for seemed to kind of add add to his allure. So you mentioned you're like they seek out people like that. Did he know that about you? Do you believe that that was something that got that or do you think he innately just figured it out? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, talk more about that.
1: Very good at, well, they're very good about spotting people. That, I mean, that's part of their nature. They're very good about looking for people who are vulnerable, whether it be, you know, someone, a woman going through a divorce or death in the family, a child who's bullied, a child who's insecure. They pick up on those cues and then they will, you know, learn all they can about you. He was always taking me into his office and saying, you know, how is your day going? And I know you don't see your dad much. Tell me about that. He was always, you know, drawing out of me things that were personal in my life. And I I found it to be helpful to me. I was relieved. I felt good about myself being able to talk to him. He just drew me in knowing that all he was doing was going to use what information I was giving him to weaponize it against me and to to Mm -hmm. use my vulnerabilities and pretend that he was helping me. Because part of the thing was when you know, he eventually had sex with me and I was really, you know, so I didn't know what to do with that. You know, there was a part of me that said, you know, I feel obligated to him because he's been so good to me and he's helped me. And, and, you know, how would I tell anyone about him? Because I would hurt him and I don't, you know, it, there was, it's a lot of emotions that goes on that your brain is rewired with trauma. It's rewired. You don't think the same. You can't Focus the same. And then in addition to that, you have the perpetrator gaslighting you and telling you things that aren't true, but you begin to believe and you start to not only not trust your own judgment, but you begin to believe everything that he says. So, you know, he would say, you know, no one's going to believe you. And if you do, you're going to be in trouble. Okay. That made sense to me. It's 16, 17 years old. Um, And I also knew... If I came forward, this would be an explosion in the church. I mean, it would have rocked their world. And so, did I want to be responsible for that as well? Um, I think I probably got off track on your question, but um, that's okay. You know, he just had a (laughs) dynamic about him. He had a dynamic about him that even the adults and I I think it's I don't know if you've gotten to this part in the book but you know he would tell the organist he wanted her to play a certain song that was a contemporary song and she didn't think it was appropriate he said fine I'll get somebody else to play control people in order to manipulate them and Mm -hmm. uh, but he he was that way with adults as well
0: yeah you
1: know he did have um, some inappropriate sexual behaviors with adult women in the church as well, which I later found out. Actually, one of them he told me at the time. I, I don't think it went to a sexual intercourse, but it was very heavy petting and kissing in his office. With wow. many women. Man, now
0: you, you here's a thing that I, I also found really interesting and, and maybe you can talk about this because I think there's a lot of people that don't understand. I hear often whenever I'm talking with contemporaries, you know, mainly men who they hear about somebody reporting things years and years down the road. Um, they're like, "Why didn't they uh-huh. report initially?" Um, or you know, you've heard things like I, I mentioned here, you, or you mentioned in your book how you said your body was betraying you because you were feeling, you know, obvious physical feelings as you're, you know, participating in these things. Um, Talk about the confusion that comes with that and why you wouldn't why you wouldn't want to report something like
1: that. First of all, when it's over, you're so glad that it's over. You 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 don't you want to suppress it, forget it. At least that's how I was. I was also embarrassed and ashamed. In my mind, I wasn't sexually abused. I'd had an affair with a married man who had two children who was the pastor of my church. So that was not information. And you've got to go back to remembering the kind of control these men have put into our minds. I was so afraid of what would happen if I ever told anyone. And I can tell you 27 years later, when I hired a private investigator to find him, I sat down at her desk with my friend next to me and she said, what's his name? And I remember thinking, I can't give him his her name. I can't give his name to her. I can't do it. And my friend not been sitting there, I would have gotten up and left. I'm not sure I I was able to tell her, but I wasn't ready to say, okay, I'm going to tell complete strangers about what happened to me. There is such a control over the victim. And mine went on for five years. So that abuse, I, I was a, it was five years of constant abuse and emotional abuse. And so for me, it was very difficult to let go of it. And we don't think we're gonna be believed. We take a lesson from that. Well, you know, I'm not going through that. Um, It takes a lot of courage to come forward. And it also, I think, maturity helps you in the long run. You know, if you're abused when you're 12, 13 years old and you wait till you're 30 or 40, it begins to make more sense to you. How do you have the words when you're a teenager or a young child? to verbalize that. And you may not be able to do that for years later. So here's the thing, 42% of adults who've been abused as children, victim to come forward as an adult is age 52. I was 49. So those statistics tell you, it's just not that we we don't care about what happens to our perpetrator or that we've just gotten over it and we live our lives. It is a trauma that lives with us for those many years.
0: Yeah, and that's that's so it's so interesting. Um, I just you know, I, I it's it's hard to even imagine as someone who hasn't been through it, what that was like. And I'm curious, you know, you mentioned for while it was going on, you're not thinking I'm being abused. You're thinking I'm having an affair with a married man, almost like you're thinking you're consenting to this when did you finally make the realization that you were not in a consensual affair with your pastor and that you were actually being abused when did that change
1: well that, um first of all let me say this too he had told me that we were married in god's eyes um mm-hmm. and that you know that i was this was God's will that we be together and you know people say well how did you believe that but Again, it's 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 the way I was able to rationalize it and I wanted to believe him. So I truly did believe that I'd had this affair with him. And at, at age 16, I knew right from wrong. So I could say, look, I, I should have said power to say no to this man. I didn't, he had groomed me, he had set me up. He had done everything he could in order to get me to that point of sexuality, of having intercourse with me. And again, i'm grown up in the church and so once you lose your virginity you know that's who you're supposed to be committed to so it was you know just a very confusing time for me so your question was what i forgot
0: well yeah i think that my my question was when did you finally make the transition away from from it yeah
1: that was that was in the first chapter of the book when i'm just i was driving to my daughter's golf tournament and I happened to pass the exit sign to the church that he went to after he left our church. And I, it, it, it was like he was in the car with me. I was, I felt him all around me. And there was this anxiety that I had never had before. And it was one of those triggers, as I said earlier, I couldn't suppress it. So I pulled off to the side of the road and I sat there and I sobbed the entire time. And all I could think of was he hurt me. I couldn't put my finger on it exactly. But there was something that said to me, he didn't have a right to do what he did to you. It took me a while, it did take me a while to process that. And and I and what I did uh, for like two weeks, I was in a total, total loss of what to do. I walked around the house crying, I walked around, my husband would leave for work and I'd fall apart. And what I did then was I started Googling sexual abuse, clergy sexual abuse. And it was through that education that I learned the terms grooming, manipulation and boundaries, and that he had no right to do what he did to me. And that's what really set me to understand that I'd been sexually abused. However, I still didn't want to admit that I was sexually abused because I didn't want that label. And I also, I'm way past this now, but for a long time, there was a part of me that wanted to believe he cared about me in some way, that mm. there was a part of him that loved me and cared for me. He never loved me. He never cared for me. I mean, he was physically abusive. There was nothing in that relationship that was loving. But part of me did not want to believe that someone could be so deliberate as to hurt someone the way he did me.
0: Why? Why did you want so badly to believe that? Was it just because of the... You didn't want to accept that you had been abused?
1: I I think part for me, it was like, I couldn't believe that anyone could be that evil, that they would do something so horrific to someone without ever caring about them and not caring about what. I think it was just that I just couldn't believe that maybe, and also that, all those times that he was pretending like he cared for me—it was a ruse. It was just to get me in bed, and that—that's hard to take. I, I mean, for me, it was. I just—but I—it—it it took me a while, but I began to realize there was never anything about that other than he had picked me, he had chosen me, he took advantage of my vulnerabilities, he then used his position as my pastor and my complete trust in him to take advantage of me sexually. And then once he did, he kept me under his control. And I, I was at a point that I thought this will never end. I will never get married. I'll never have children. This will only be over when he says it will be because the, the couple times that I would try to go to him. And this was early on. Cause once I got to about year three, I was pretty much done. I mean, I knew that I was never going to get out of this, but the, couple of times that I would go to him, he would respond in one of two ways. And I think he was reading me at that point. He would decide which, which way he thought would work with me at that point. So I would say, you know, I can't do this anymore. The guilt is too much. I'm not happy. He would say to me, you know, I love you. You know, I need you. He would play the guilt trip and how much he needed me in the church and that he was sorry if he ever hurt. I mean, it was on and on and on. And then fat, you're ugly. And he just, he reduced me to just, a puddle of nothing. And so either way he responded to my wanting to change and get out of it. It worked. I mean, I just, and then, then after about, you know, like I said, the third year in or so, I just accepted the relationship because it was easier. Once I did that, you know, it was easy as far as I did what he said and I didn't try to fight him any longer. And I think there's things in the book where I, I, I do try to go against him and it, backfires
0: yeah well and that and that's a thing too is that some of these things um that i found so interesting in your book and and also you know I, i i don't talk about myself on this podcast too much but you know i've i've dealt with not nothing like what you dealt with obviously but it's interesting because when you've been in a situation where you've been abused there's also a level where you're like I don't know, maybe this is just me, but you don't, you don't want to admit that you were abused. Like, I I almost like, how could I have possibly let that happen to me? If that makes sense. Did did you feel,
1: I missed that part. Repeat that again.
0: Yeah. There's a part of it. There's a part of you where you, you've been, you don't want to admit that you would let something like that happen to you. Like you, like you would have, I'm a strong, I'm a strong person. How could I possibly let someone treat me like this? You see what I'm saying? And that's, and, yeah, and that's where yeah. blaming comes in. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned also, I want to, I want to get into this because grooming behavior, you, people hear about it. They don't quite know what it is. Tell, tell us um, what the behavior was that you, that you say was the grooming behavior that got you into the trusting. Was it just paying enough attention to you or okay. was there other stuff he was doing?
1: Well, you know, um, so grooming is to establish a false trust, to get the victim to trust this person almost so completely. And what happens is they start to push boundaries and then the victim starts to accept behavior and boundary crossing in that person that they wouldn't normally accept in another person. So what he did with me was i was very active in the church um before he arrived at our church i sang in the choir i taught sunday school I, i'm just going to tell you the doors of the church were open i was there i absolutely loved being in church and i loved everything i did there so when he came the senior pastor introduced me to him and said you know this is sandy she's our one of our leaders in the church she's going to be a big help history the and then it's interesting because i remember he took my hand And he didn't let go of it the entire time that we were being introduced. And I remember feeling odd. Now there's, see, there's a clue. I mean, I didn't, I didn't pull away. I didn't, I just let him hold my hand, but I remember thinking that's odd. So then he chose me as one of the the leaders in the youth group. You know, I don't normally have teenagers serve on the adult committee, but I think it'd be great to have you. So I'm like thinking, this is wonderful. I, I love the attention. I, I, you know, I, I found church to be a place, as you mentioned earlier, you know, that I felt safe and I got the attention that I thought maybe I was missing at home, even though I had good, good. My mom was great, but, but you know, you're anyway, but I, I liked that attention that I got at church and he tapped into that. So grooming can be, you know, by giving gifts, whatever the vulnerability or need is, that's where the grooming is. So you know, a child is being bullied. The perpetrator might take them aside and, and give them extra attention and tell them how wonderful they are and take them places so that they feel like, you know, this person doesn't bully me and this person really does like me. So it, it, it's all about mostly attention and then getting that victim to be dependent upon the perpetrator. Because, you know, I mentioned in my book too, there was a time where at me and he said to me, you're not going to come to the meeting that I have organized and I don't want you there. Well, he had, the one thing he could take away from me was the love I had in the church. And so I knew, you know, this was something that he could take away from me. And so that's part, that's the grooming situation. Does That make sense. Yeah,
0: it does. And, and what I find so fascinating about it is playing. It's like, he's playing the long game. You know what I mean? Like, oh. it sounded, and and that was what's so so surprising is that he hones in on you, and for like a year or two, there's nothing, and then all of a sudden it happens. And you know, I I just curious what goes through an abuser's brain. I mean, do you do you think that at any point when he was doing that, he legitimately did care for you, and it switched, or do you think it was always his plan?
1: No, he's a narcissist. There was no he was very much what works for him. And that included his activities in the church as well. Everything was focused on what he wanted and what reflected back on him. So if the service didn't go well, he would become irate. You know, he didn't like someone's song or uh, people were coming in late. I mean, he would become irate because it reflected back on him. I, Mm -hmm. You know, he did a lot of good things in the church, and that's the thing that people will go back to. They say, well, you know, he was such a good person. He was such a good man. No, he really wasn't. That was a facade. That was who he wanted people to believe who he was. And so I forgot your question. (laughs) again. I get off on these tangents? No,
0: no, it's it's really it's more of a conversation because I think this is so interesting I've, I've, I've had some interviews with mental health providers when it comes to narcissism, right? And, and I've, and I've had people in my life, I've had people in my life very close to me who, you know, they have pulled the wool over my eyes. And then next thing, you know, man, they are completely different than the person you thought they were. How do you, when you're seeing somebody, that's what's so interesting. When you see a narcissist and you see them doing all these wonderful things, Where are the signs that you're that they're not real? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, where do you get that? How do you figure that out before you're
1: stuck? There's a bullying involved in narcissistic people because they Mm. want they have to be right all the time. Um, They take a little bit of pleasure in a very devious way of making someone else feel less about themselves. So in a joking manner, they will they, they they try to get to someone's self esteem. Now it doesn't work with everybody. So that's again, they're good about picking out people who they think they can manipulate. Um, mm-hmm. We had one uh, youth group leader in, in the church that she didn't fall for his stuff. She really didn't. She was very. She thought he only concentrated on the pretty talented people in the church, which was true. She, the you know the people who were somewhat more you know, quiet or they weren't as popular. He didn't, pen, he didn't spend any time with them and she didn't like mm. that. So she never fell for him um, in the same way that most of the people did. Um, again, let's see. So that's, mm. they're, they're, they're bullies. Most of the time they try to uh, make the uh, another person feel less than what they are. And then they say, oh, I was only kidding. I'm just joking mm-hmm. with you but they mm-hmm. do it in a mean spirit way. Um, mm-hmm. That's a couple of the things that you can pick up on. And they like to control things. They're very controlling and they do it in, you know, so like with me, and this is before anything started. He said, Sandy, I, I want to, I want you to learn a vocabulary word every week and tell me what it means and put it in a sentence. He, the guise was to make me think he was trying to help me, you know, that this mm-hmm. was going to, I want to help you. And this will help you if you just learn a vocabulary every every week. No, it wasn't. It was to make me feel stupid because as a a relationship then went on, he got to telling me that's a stupid word or no, that's not the right meaning. So they, 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 they like to control. I mean, control is a big Mm -hmm. factor.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. No, I would certainly, I mean, narcissists are are dangerous people for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, especially in this circumstance, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's scary because when, I don't think we realize, I, I've, you know, I, I've, I told you off air, I'm Mormon and our clergy is all uh, volunteer. You know, they don't, they're not paid ministers like some of the other churches out there. But the thing is, um, you know, those, it's, it's still, um, it, it's, where was I going with that? I don't even know where I was going with that and why I brought that up. I, I think it's, it's, Anyway, it's interesting to, um, see, well, ha, see, now I've lost my train of thought. This stuff is just so kind of strange. It's, it's just so strange, it, it is because I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, is I am so afraid there. I'll, t- I'll, I'll share a story. There's somebody who got was very, very close to me, uh, a friend of mine. Uh, I've known, I had known him since high school and, uh, people who are around me will know who I'm talking about, uh, he was a youth. He was a youth uh, equivalent to a youth pastor, right? Okay. I mean, he was involved in the youth group. Just a super nice guy, and without getting too into the weeds, next thing you know, the FBI is raiding right his house and finding oh. pictures and all this stuff. And you couldn't. It, it was. It was so scary because this is a guy who I literally would. I mean, he had watched my kids. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, right. it's somebody that it literally was the last person I could have Her. ever mm-hmm. thought of, right? right? And it's so scary, right. because you don't, you just don't know. And it makes you almost paranoid. Right? Right. right. And, and, and is it how would, how would yeah. you recommend? How would you recommend if I have a, a, a daughter in that was the age when you started being abused? What would you recommend I teach my kids, my sons too, really? What would I teach them to make sure that they don't fall into the same trap that you found yourself in?
1: So, again, I would start with, you know, most people are good people, but there are some Mm -hmm. who are good people that we would never think would do anything wrong, but they can also i think we need to give our girls power to say no that it's okay if you don't want someone to hold your hand or give you a hug it's okay don't because girls especially worry about hurting feelings we don't want to hurt their feelings so that it's okay to use your voice to say this is not something i'm feeling comfortable with i think it's also good for parents to make it known like if you if you have let's say that the perpetrator gives them a gift Seems like a nice gesture. You trust this person. It was an oh, I just saw this. I thought she'd like it. It's it's okay to say to them, you know, we aren't real comfortable with strange people giving gifts to our kids because we we're very careful about what we give and we have a an idea of what we'd like them to have or not have. So I appreciate the fact that you it puts that perpetrator on notice that you're paying attention. Now, if it's an innocent gesture, they're not going to be offended. They're going to take your parenting okay I think all oh, that's a little weird, but if that's what he wants, fine, I won't give the gift. So we got to be careful of or at least letting perpetrators know that we watch our kids. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing about it is we need, okay, if you're abused, she's not going to tell you probably. She's just not if they don't they don't mm-hmm. tell so we need to start asking questions and what i've done with my granddaughters is just to say to them you know when you're with somebody and someone touches you inappropriately or touches where they shouldn't you're probably not going to want to tell anyone but you need to talk and you can tell me we need to let our kids know ahead of time that it's okay to tell us and that if anybody ever does that to you, it's not your fault in any way. And you mm-hmm. and, and because you didn't stop them, that doesn't mean it's your fault either. Because we tell kids, don't let someone touch you. Don't let someone touch you there. Well, it happens so quickly. And as it did with my case, the brain shuts down and says, oh, what did he do? I, I, you can't process it. So we need to let our kids know that if something happens, it wasn't in any, any way their fault, even if they didn't say no, um, because they didn't weren't able to. And you understand that. And I think just paying attention, you know, when this guy was paying a lot of attention to me. But remember, we're in church. So my mom is very comfortable with this. He took me on hospital visits. We went places. We had lunch. He, But he did that with a lot of the young people in the church. But he did it more with me. And it, mm-hmm. in hindsight, many people said, you know, I thought he spent a lot of time with you, but I never thought anything of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, pay attention to the red flags or your gut. If you don't, yeah, you, probably, nobody should, nobody should pay an extra attention to your kids, that much extra right. attention. That's not normal. Right. Well,
0: well, yeah, does. and that, and that's the thing, like, you know, like, I'll I'll give an example of, of that other person that I know, you know, he was very involved in the youth group and a bunch of us were all together, uh, you know, kind of processing after it happened. And there was a guy mm-hmm. who shared a story about this guy being at his house, and just getting on his cell phone and calling one of the youth and being like, hey, I just wanted to remind you to, you know, say your prayers tonight, blah, blah, blah. And I'll talk, you know, talk to you later and hung up. And he goes, you know, I thought to myself, what a good pastor to be doing that, not realizing what he was doing was not what he was purporting mm-hmm. to do. And I think what you said about trusting your gut is so important. I can I can tell you, you know, there's, there's so many times when... <laughs> My gut was telling me something and I let my brain say, ah, you know, and then later I was like, God, ah, I should have listened. You know what I mean? And, and especially when it comes to, I'll tell you, even when it comes to abuse because you sit there and you'd be like, this is a red flag, but then you're, you're not, uh, you're not, what do you, what do you call it? You're not objective anymore. You know, you're, you're not objective. You've, you've kind of, you know, and so then you get, you get in there and and then you, you know, by the time you realize it, it's, kind of you know it's too late i I wanted to ask you too um so there's a part of this where you're in a hotel room with him and he actually hits you Uh and i wanted to ask you about you know it seems like a lot of this abuse is like the frog in the boiling water right where you start out you're kind of you know it's not it just slightly turning up the dial right and you don't realize you're burning did, were there any signs that you saw right. before he actually hit you that that was something that might be coming?
1: Well, you know, he was he, he always intimidated me and scared me a little bit. Um, you know, they were pushed me against the wall. Um, you know, one time the, the car was moving pretty slowly in the driveway. I wouldn't get out. Um, he pushed me out you know, that had that 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 one hit that knocked me to the floor certainly put me in my place. And I knew that, you know, I needed to behave. And once you've been hit like that, at least for me, um, it was OK, I, I can't make him angry again. And um, but I didn't really see that kind of violence coming. And, you know, he went from this wonderful, caring person to someone who literally uh, it was just a sexual relationship. There were, there was never anything romantic about it in any way. It was sex in his car in the in his church office or in a hotel. Uh, you know, he, he never gave me a gift. This wasn't um, a card. There was never ever anything other than, and his hold over me was that this was the good that we were doing in the church together and that we were married in God's eyes and that he needed me. And that's, And then and and like i said eventually you just get where you're you don't even think for yourself and you just accept the relationship and at least that's what i did i just i just accepted and then i had he had degraded me to a point where i didn't have any self-esteem and so i really believed that you know this was as good as i was ever going to have and that i just should accept it um i was at a very low 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 point in my life and I, I didn't see a way out. So it was, you know, and so when people tell me, well, I just leave. Once your brain has been brainwashed and you have been controlled and physically abused, it's, it you, you don't think for yourself anymore. You just accept it. It's easier. It's easier.
0: I, I have to hone in on something you said that I found quite interesting. And I know you were talking about at the time and not what you think now, but I found it so interesting that when he hit you, your thought was, "I sh- can't make him mad again," right? Like you were the reason he hit you. It, right. Was that? When did right. that? When did call. that? Right. When? And and I wonder about this. I wonder about this. Maybe a therapy session between us here, Sandy. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if you you did you always tend to take things on to yourself before then or do you think he he made you feel that way does that question make sense
1: he made yeah he made me feel that way i mean it was hmm. i mean i you know i was a typical teenage girl i mean you know i worry about my hair i worry when i got a pimple on my face oh my gosh i can't go to school i look terrible I mean, you know, self-esteem issues were there. I certainly was insecure in the fact that, you know, my parents were divorced and most of my kids at that time, friends were not. Um, mm-hmm. So there were some issues there, but I, I, I never felt like I was stupid. I never felt fat, but he, you know, he called me stupid. He called me fat. He um, made me, and a lot of times it was subtle things like one You know, I didn't know the book. And he'd say, well, everybody knows that book. You're so stupid. But so, yeah, no, he, he, but that's also part of the game is to make me feel so insecure and so have so low self-esteem that I become so dependent on him for my entire existence, which is where I was. I mean, I was, I, I, I would have done anything. I mean, if he, whatever he asked or told me to do, I, I did it. Um, That was my life. It was my life. And I knew I was never going to get out. I knew it was never going to end until he said and followed him one night and found us in a hotel room. And then he gets a going away party and I get kicked out of the church. Now let me just say this about that. What they did was absolutely wrong and they handled it in the worst possible way. But what I did 27 years later, I also went back to that church and demanded an apology. None of the elders were there at the time. Some of the members were still there, but the current elder board, you know none of them were on the board at the time that I was told to leave. But that church needed to recognize and take ownership for what was done to me in that church. And that was a huge part of my healing too. I mm. I needed to have my voice heard and I wanted the true story told because I know what he told them and what he you know, I don't know all of what he told them, but I know he didn't tell the truth. And people still talked about him, how great he was. And even when I went to the current pastor of the church, his first reaction to me was to say, well, you know, I didn't know him, but I heard he had dynamic sermons and I know he did a lot for this church. And I, I can remember things thinking, I'm a victim of this man. He sexually mm. abused me and you're defending. him. I mean, how, yeah. is that, how does that make sense? How is that anything Christian like at all? And he wasn't willing to give me the meeting. I finally had to go around him to someone else. But So in their defense, they were very willing to allow me to come and speak before their board.
0: Hmm. That's so interesting. You know, it's, it is, it is so interesting. And, and and I wonder what this is, right? I wonder if it's just, they just can't see it because they only saw that narcissistic side that was so nice and charismatic that they almost can't believe that this person that they know, almost like they they don't, can't believe that they've been deceived. I mean, it just seems so surprising. Right.
1: Well, I think there are two factors at play in here. You know, I I think I told you earlier, he had told everyone that it had only been going on a year, when in reality, Mm -hmm. within six months of his arrival, it had started. So he knew that, you know, you can get forgiveness for maybe a year. But if you were to tell them for five years, while I stood up and preached about marriage and everything else, this had been going on, that would have been a little harder for them to accept. So he put it down to a year. The other thing is, I think the church... they're misguided in their response in the sense that they rely on misinterpretation of scripture. In other words, well we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We shouldn't judge each other and we all make mistakes and we all deserve second chances. They go from the moral side of it that this is the way we should treat someone who has done this. I think that's part of it. But what they fail to see is, is the, it's not just a moral failure. It's a professional failure as well. He broke the vows of his ordination. He broke the vows of his marriage. But he his job was to, to stay within the boundaries of his ministry. And he broke those boundaries. He devoured one of his sheep. And therefore, professionally, he loses his job. It's a job. You know, I had one pastor say to me, well, it's not a job. It's a calling. I said, well, you get a paycheck. You're expected to show up every Sunday morning. That's a job. And if you go out of your boundaries and commit sexual misconduct, then you lose that position. It's no different than I, as a nurse, if I steal narcotics. That's my life counseling. You can do all the things you want to do. But I've lost that privilege of, of being a nurse because I broke a, a rule. That is the one rule that you can't break. You can mm. do it. Stockbrokers, you can't do inside trading. You do it, you lose your license. It's the same with a pastor. you know he could probably steal money out of the church and get you know better be more reprimanded than if he actually steals the soul of one of his sheep
0: yeah and the and the thing that's so interesting um, about that is is it's not like if he loses his job as a pastor, he's not worthy of forgiveness. But, you know, if, if that makes sense, like exactly. they're 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 conflating the idea of forgiveness with allowing to you're continuing to put this person in a position to hurt other people. They've clearly shown if, if he's if he's a youth pastor, that he will use his power over people to manipulate them to get things that he want, even at the at the point of destroying somebody's life. That's not you. You have to do something to make sure that you keep him out of that power.
1: So I, my response is always this. Look, my abuser deserves all the love and the grace God gives to all of us if we repent. But he deserves that love and grace sitting in the third row of the church, not in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. This is not about whether he can be forgiven or not. And as far as judging this man, I am not judging him whether he's going to heaven or hell. I'm not judging him on how God will treat him. I am judging him on his ability to do his job. And he proved by his own actions. I was not his first victim. In his first church, a young woman came forward and accused him of sexual in and inappropriate behavior. But when we in the church rehire these men or give them second chances, we are basically giving them a second chance to reoffend. And uh-huh. it is too great an offense to take that chance. And legally, legally, if you a history of sexual abuse you are putting your entire church at a legal peril because you now have information knowing when you hired me that there's been some sexual misconduct and it doesn't just go for minors there are 13 states that if a pastor is counseling a woman and they have any kind of sexual relationship that is illegal and they can go mm-hmm. to jail that, just like a doctor or a therapist and so uh-huh. unfortunately it's only 13 states but the law is beginning to recognize the power that pastors, rabbis, and priests have over their members of their congregation. And it's just like when a doctor's office, they're in there counseling that person. They're in a vulnerable state, and they use their position to take advantage of them, and they lose their job over that. And, and it shouldn't be no different for pastors and priests and rabbis.
0: Now, so I, I haven't gotten to this part of the book has there there was a point where you did confront your abuser correct I did and mm-hmm. and what happened
1: so one of the first things that came to me um after I told my friend and I eventually did tell my husband I just felt this strong need to be able to look him in the eye and say to him i know what you did to me and you had no right to do it And so, you know, I had had not contact with him for 27 years. I didn't know if he was still alive. I had no idea where he was. I hired his private investigator, found him ministering in a church in Alabama. I took my husband and this good friend of mine and another friend who was at the church at the time. And it it took a lot of courage to do that. But one of the advantages I had was he couldn't deny it. You know, it had become public. So it wasn't like I was going to be there and he was going to be able to sit there and say, I don't know what you're talking about. It was 27 years ago. You've got the wrong person or you misunderstood. He couldn't do any of that. So that gave me a little bit more courage to be able to go there and face him. Um, you You know, was the meeting satisfactory? I'm glad that I did it but it was disappointing in his reaction to me. Um, Again, as a narcissist, he began to talk about why he was the way he was. He had an alcoholic father and he's had issues in his life. And this was who he was at the time, but he'd been in therapy and he'd been identified as a sexual addict, which at that point I looked over at his supervisor and thought, this is appropriate that you have him as your pastor. And again, they had not told anyone in this current congregation about his past. And he had admitted that there had been many incidents of sexual misconduct throughout his ministry, mm-hmm. uh, wow. you know, which boggles my mind. And he's still a pastor.
0: That's, that is shocking. So, that. That's shocking that he's still a pastor after all of this.
1: And I really, my friend um, who was a counselor and she taught school, she said to me, oh, Sandy, once they hear your story, there's no way they're going to let him continue as the minister. And I remember saying to her, I bet you they do. I bet you they do. Because he's so charismatic and I know how he can manipulate people and they, they won't they won't get rid of him. And sure enough, the answer I got from them was, well, this happened 27 years ago. We believe in the power of change. We believe that God can change people. And we don't think it's appropriate to do anything based on something that happened 27 years ago. So then I went to his denominational leaders, which were in Indianapolis. He was in Alabama. I got a a meeting with the president of the denomination. I was told the same thing. The other thing about the church that I grew up in and the church that he still is a minister is that they're all independent. They don't have a hierarchy that they have to answer to. So each Mm. church, fires and fires their own pastors. They they are autonomous. And so that makes it even more difficult, according to this president, that they can't really do anything about mm. a particular pastor unless the church itself decides to do that, in spite of what I told them. And I don't think they didn't it wasn't they didn't believe me, but they just they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it.
0: Mm. So so what do you think it as Someone who is a victim of clergy abuse. Um, if you have somebody in your life who is a victim of clergy abuse, what are what would are some of the things to say or not say to that person?
1: Okay, so I you cut out on me again. So just repeat the question real quick.
0: Sure, sure. The question is is if i have somebody in my life or i know someone or I come in contact with someone who has been a victim of clergy abuse what are some things i should say to them and things i should not say to them
1: I mean, that's a great question first of all remember that they've been abused within the church and they've been abused by a spiritual leader so there's a good chance that they are very weary of trusting anyone within the church and so phrases like i will pray for you are not comforting to a victim of clergy abuse well Mm -hmm. intended but not helpful because this didn't happen with me but many victims i spoke with their predator would pray with them after they had sex and say we need to pray to god for forgiveness or we need to pray to god to bless this relationship. Prayer was brought into the relationship in a sexual way. So Mm -hmm. saying to someone, let me pray for you. Secondly, quoting scripture is a big no-no. You know, it says in the Bible that, well, the Bible was used against us. almost, I would say 90% of the victims I've talked to, their abuser, use Paul as an example. I'm just like Paul. God used Paul in spite of his faults. And that's, that's the scripture they use. Then this scripture is used. Don't lean on thine own understanding. Trust me. So scripture is a very big trigger for a lot of victims. So what I would say is that if you would, I would appreciate it anyway, if someone who really wants to pray for me would say, I understand that prayer could be difficult. Would you mind if I pray for you? And it's okay if you don't want me to. You have opened the door to this victim by letting them know you do understand. And it's like, wow, she, she gets a prayer. I mean, you've told them, and then that trust can be built that they might tell you even some more. Um, I would also say to victims, it, when you come forward, I would go forward first to someone who's not in the church. Because, as I said mm-hmm. earlier, they have groomed the entire congregation and it's difficult to tell someone in the church who has also has a personal relationship with your own abuser. So, you know, they're they're having to process. they are the man that baptized their children. He's the man that married them. He's a the man that counseled them. He's the man that sat by their bedside and took care of them. So it, it would be it's you know, I would say that you need to talk to someone outside of the church first. But when you are dealing with the victim of clergy abuse, just keep in mind that the church and even God has been contaminated for them. And you need to be aware of that. And just don't assume that prayer and Bible scriptures, him was in the garden. And, you know, every time I hear that now, I I think of him. It just is a reminder. I I can't help it. And so we just need to be aware of that. Um, Yeah. And, you know, know, to say, I mean, one other thing is to say to them, you know, I don't understand how this all happens. So maybe you can help me and I won't won't judge you. And I'm going to spend some time researching clergy abuse so I, I can have a better understanding of what you've been through. I mean, that's the kindness that comes through to say, I'm not here to judge you. I didn't get that. I didn't get a lot of that.
0: Yeah, you know, I had to. I have to ask you because and don't you brought say, up.
1: Do not ever, 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 ever say, "I forgive you" or, or "God forgives you." Don't ever tell a victim, "Well, I forgive you for what what happened," or "God forgives you." We don't have anything to be forgiven for. We were no. the victim.
0: A hundred percent. You know, the thing that I would I would say about that, and I don't know if this is helpful at all. You can tell me if it's not. One thing that I've, I've said to people I know who've been abused or been in a bad circumstance or whatever you want to say is, is that you know, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ is not just for forgiveness, but also for healing for the things, the, the bad things that you're feeling. So in that way, the atonement applies, but it's not a forgiveness thing. It's just a healing yeah. thing. And, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you because you said, uh, you know, you you said something really interesting to me that, that, that a victim has kind of a a, a, a love hate kind of relationship with the church. So I have to ask you where are you at spiritually now as a result of all of
1: this? Um, I have a very good relationship with God. I, 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 I have pray. I do not like when someone else is praying. So when we're out to lunch or something and someone says a prayer that, that makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm getting better with that. I mean, it's just a trigger for me that I have to kind of work through and process. And I think time helps with that. I don't know why that, I I guess it's just, you know, hearing him pray. I'm not sure, but I pray. I never read my Bible for 27 years. I can, I can actually do that now. Church is still mm-hmm. uncomfortable for me, but I've made peace with it. It's never going to be the same for me. He contaminated mm-hmm. that for me. Um, you know, I had sex in the church. Um, I watched him preach on a Sunday morning about marriage while he had sex with me the night before. So that the structure of the church and and the traditions of the church can be difficult for me. However, I took my kids to church every Sunday when they were younger because I wanted them to have that experience. And I didn't want them to be uh, my experience, reflect back onto them. And so I took them to church. It was very difficult. I mean, I would, they were Sundays. I had a hard time sitting there. And again, that's where I had to pretend that I was okay. You know, at one point uh, I was... Why? Because I miss singing in the choir. I would have loved to have been able to sing in the choir, but I wasn't able to do that because of his abuse. You know, spiritual abuse is so much, any abuse is horrific, but when it happens within the church, it takes a part of your soul. And that's why we can't allow these men to continue and and look at it as an affair or look at it as something, as a mistake. You know, I hate when the term is used, oh, he's fallen into sin. Or, you know, it was a sin of the heart no it was it was a sexual misconduct it was not yeah. fair it was not a sin of the heart or anything else yeah. euphemism you want to use you sugarcoat it that way um so I, I am better spiritually than i was for those 27 years that i kept this inside and it's still a journey for me and i'm trying not to let him take everything away from me you know i mm-hmm. i i don't know that a church will ever be what it was once for me um and I, I, I get a knot in my stomach when I pass the pastor's office, not because I, I'm afraid of that pastor. In fact, I absolutely love the last pastor we had. He was great. I, I think I've trusted him. Um, I'm very leery when I go into an office with a pastor or I have to be alone with one, but I think that's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, lightning can strike twice. Right. So I that's just being aware. I mean, sure. not necessarily being paranoid, um so, yeah, that's where I am spiritually. And I'm, I, I, spiritual life that I would have given them had this not happened to me. And that's, that's a sadness for me. I mean, they got, they went to church, but I, you know, I couldn't engage anything with them. I couldn't talk about anything spiritually with them. Mm. And then so, I they missed out on that because of what was done to me.
0: Yeah. So so tell me then, um, for somebody who may be holding something in, somebody who has been abused, or just I probably generalized trauma that they've not talked about or held in. I was very intrigued about what you said at the beginning, where oh. it just kind of came out after twenty-seven years. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's holding something in a secret or something like that about trauma? What would be your recommendation to them?
1: Well, the first thing you, that victims need to understand, and it took me a while to do this, is that what was done to you was not your fault. you got to get past guilt and the shame. You've got to get past what should I have said or done? What could I have done differently? Why did he pick me? Why did Why me? Why? There was nothing you could have done differently. You did what you did at the time with the coping skills that you had at that time. And because you were with the master manipulator, you you were trapped. You were lured into a trap. And what makes a good trap? You don't know you're being trapped. And then once you're in, you can't get out. So you need to start with that. that it's not your fault. And whatever occurred, you did what you could at, at the time. Secondly, I would say start to educate yourself whatever the trauma you're occurring, whether it's an abuse, if you grew up with an alcoholic father, whatever trauma is in your life, study that because once you begin to understand that the trauma itself and that you were groomed, you were manipulated or that alcoholics behave in a certain way toward their family members, all of those things begin then come with understanding that allows you to maybe be free a little bit to speak. Um, And it's you have to talk about your abuse and you need to find someone you can trust. And I someone who spent twenty-seven years hiding a secret. I was going to my grave with this. So in 27 years I I didn't live the life I was supposed to live. I was hiding a secret and it was it was holding me back in so many ways. So your freeing and your healing can only come once you speak. Um, so that's that's what you need to do again repeat it to yourself a hundred times a day it's not your fault learn educate yourself and then find someone you can talk to and the other thing if you don't want to talk to someone in person online there are a lot of support groups that you can be anonymous and you and then you can also connect with other victims which is a huge help a support group and people can't always find a support group physically, but they are online. I mean, I volunteer for the Hope of Survivors Ministry and they've got a wealth of information to help people who've been sexually abused by the clergy. So and there's many more. Jimmy Hinton, um, he's he's got some great websites. He's written a book. His father actually um, was abusing girls in the church, along with his own daughter and his mother. And he found out and they turned him in and he went to jail. He's got a very yeah. interesting story. So there's lots of things on the internet that if you Google clergy sexual abuse, you'll find um, help there too as well. Wow.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems it's it's so interesting because I can I, I can only imagine what you said. That's got to be hard when you said, I didn't live the life I wanted to live for 27 years. And right. um, so tell me what the difference is are in your demeanor now than they were in those 27 years what's changed
1: well first of all for 27 years you i call it the imposter life because you spend i spent the entire time many times thinking when someone would compliment me i'd say yeah but if they really knew what i did 27 years ago they wouldn't think the same way about me i didn't trust that i was smart uh my husband changed that for me, but for a long time, I just, I just knew I wasn't as smart as everybody else. Um, I worried about my parents constantly because that's what he was always harping on about me and my parents. And I always had to look a certain way. It, the insecurities that I felt about myself would come about when I would think about something and it, he, I'd hear his voice in the back of my mind. Um, there were nightmares throughout the 27 years that I had to deal with. All, all of those impacted my life because I wasn't getting sleep at night because I'd have a nightmare. So I'm up the next day just dragging. And that's all because of that trauma and abuse that he put into my life. Um, so for 27 years, it was, but I think the imposter part was the biggest change. Um mm-hmm. After I was able to come forward and really recognize that I was sexually abused, it was like, I am not an imposter and what was done to me was not my fault and anybody who thinks it was they're not worth my time anyway mm. I, my confidence came back my confidence came back
0: i find it really and interesting was- yeah i find it really interesting because there's something that i truly believe is very important and that is there is a certain power in not worrying anymore about the labels that people put on you, and and you know, uh, being able to live your authentic life regardless of what other people think, and it, you you know, we you, it's it's interesting that you were so worried about what other people were going to think of you during those twenty seven years, and it took you that long to realize that, you know, what happened to you was abuse, right, and not your fault. And do you, th- do you think that you were ready, like, let's say two, three years after it was over, do you think you would have been ready at that point to admit that?
1: No, no. And, and at that point, it's like, I want to forget it, and I know I'm going to go on with my life. Well, it doesn't work that way. I think there's a quote in my book that that which you choose to bury, you will always carry." And mm. it, it never left me. And so I was living my entire life with him over my shoulder. And that's when I also came to the point of how do I move past this? And what what I did was I made him insignificant in my life, meaning I'll use the word forgive, but it was just letting go. I wasn't going to allow him to occupy my space any longer. And I could only do that if I let go of the anger and I let go of the fact that I was never really going to get justice and I can't Mm -hmm. let go of the fact that. He was going to continue on in his ministry and go on his merry way and never give me a second thought. I had to let go of that because it wasn't going to. Nothing was going to change. As much as anger as I had, it wasn't going to change. And that's how I was able to move forward. Um, and that took a while too. I mean, it was two or three years before I was. I I, I just I was so angry and 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 I I wouldn't say anger was my most prominent feeling. I'll tell you what I felt most. It was a sadness. I was just sad for what he took from me. It was the sadness of feeling. He changed my life in a way that no one else could have done what he did. I mean, he changed my life. I wonder what would have happened had I ever met this man, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I don't want to say that I didn't want to meet him because my life turned out beautifully. I met my husband, but still he altered my life. He, He changed. And and I can't, it's like putting, you know, the cracked egg back into the shell. It just doesn't, it, it just doesn't going to be the same. I don't have that same trust. And when I see people in church raising their hands and praising God, you know, I want to be able to do that. But I can't. I, I can't. Yeah, That's, And that's man. what he took from me. These yeah. men are thieves. They steal souls. And there are many victims who will never go back to church who are now, atheists who say, I don't believe in a God for any reason, because of the trauma that was caused within the church, the safest place on earth. That's why these yeah. men in, in positions of power of, of the church, the elders, whoever they are, bishops, they need to understand what this does to people, what it really, really does. We never, ever get over it. Some of mm. us come out on the other end. Okay. Some of us commit suicide. Some of us go to alcohol. Some of us go through relationships like a revolving door because of our trauma. And when it's by a clergy person, a man in a spiritual position, it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating.
0: Man, I can't imagine what you've been through Uh, as as a father of young daughters. I'm actually kind of enraged for you. I mean, it, you know, to think about how something like that could happen, and the scary thing is, right. is it could literally be anybody, you know. It and could so be.
1: It, it absolutely and and churches need to be aware of that. That this is not something vulnerable because they predators look for places where they can find vulnerable people. That's why there are coaches and teachers that are predators because they know that's where vulnerable people are. Um, You know, Larry Nasser and their gymnast doctor up in Michigan, you know, he he had young girls and he knew he had a powerful position over them. And so they they gravitate to those positions. Again, we don't want to pretend that every person out there, editor, and that every pastor, priest, or rabbi should be looked at with a second look. That's not what we're saying. Um, And I truly believe that 90% of pastors and clergy people are. Faithful to their calling, I do believe that. But we have to be aware that there are there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're out there. I've mentioned this before. I just Google one time how many times wolves in sheep's clothing is mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned twenty seven times. I mean, yeah. Jesus was warning us. He's telling us you've got to beware of these. They will devour the sheep. And so it should be no surprise to us that there are false prophets.
0: Yeah. There are, and that's, man, that it's it's so hard because you just, you don't, I love what you say because you're like, it doesn't mean we have to look at anybody, everybody with an eye like they're going to be an abuser, but at the same time, you're like, it's always the last person you think, so it almost makes you paranoid, you know what I mean, and it's just so scary. There
1: are signs that we ignore because of who they are. There are signs and anytime you feel uncomfortable or you have a gut feeling, you have a right to say, you know, I'm not comfortable with you talking to my daughter or doing whatever you think is, that, that, that sets that red flag up. And if it's a person that's innocent about it, they're going to thank you. Oh, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm. And if it's a predator, he's going to say, oh, I'm backing off of this one because this dad is involved Or this. And that was the other reason I think I was chosen you know, my parents weren't involved in the church. So he didn't have a watchful eye on him at all. So, yeah, we don't want to have this idea that you got to be looking at everybody. But again, trust your gut and look for the signs if you can. And 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 now this has been kind of a downer, I think. But let me just say this. Hope and healing is possible. It really is. And I, I encourage each victim to know that, first of all, as many victims you think you're the only one this has ever been ha- happened to i mean i i thought no one else got this bad apple but me um and that's not the case you we find out that there are people very similar to our own situations they may not be exempt identical so there is hope and there's healing um and i i, I know that from my own experience it's not easy take three steps forward two steps backwards but it is possible
0: yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. And I want to end on that positive note because that's, what's so important. You know, we, we want to, the, the thing that's cool. I, I love about my podcast is everybody has a, a story and yours is one of, in my mind, courage and strength, because I know at the that it had to have been really hard after that long to come forward. And the fact that you did and now you've written a book and you're helping people through your story, uh, I hope that some of my listeners uh, have been educated and Lord forbid, there's somebody out there who's dealt with this that hopefully through your story, they can be, be helped. And so. Yeah. And um,
1: I, I would, I would encourage, you know, not just victims to read my book. Cause I, I, I know you haven't read all of it, but I, I also talk about, you know, what churches can do. It's an education on how, what clergy abuse is. So it, it's a good read, I think, for anyone who wants to understand, a little bit more about clergy abuse, and then w- what we can do um, to prevent it, and opposed yeah. to just waiting till it happens, too. Um,
0: yeah, that's awesome. And, so, and,
1: yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a story of just not the abuse, but hope and healing as well.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome. Tell me now. I know you do speaking engagements. You also have this uh, the the book. So, tell us where can people who want to follow you where can they find you.
1: Uh, I have a website which is just my name, uh sandyphillipskirkham.com. It's P H I L L I P S and then it's K I R K H A M K-I-R-K-H-A-M.com. That's my website. There's a lot of uh, resources. Um they're also they're in the back of my book, but they're also on my website. So they can find me there. I'm also on Facebook. Um, again, just my Sandy Phillips Kirkham, and it's author at the end. Um, so that's that's where they can find me. Um, I also am a volunteer for the Hope of Survivors Ministry, which helps women who have been sexually abused. And you can find that website. It has a lot of good information. Um, but there are a lot of good books out there um, that I think would be very helpful. And again, they're in the back of the book that um, I could recommend now. But again you can go to the website and find those.
0: Awesome. And where can people find your book? Is it on Amazon?
1: It is on Amazon and they can also get it on my website, but it's available on Amazon as well.
0: Awesome. That's great. And I I got a
1: copy. I think it should be at every church library myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. Well, well, listen, I'm excited because I got the book and mine's autographed, so I don't know about you guys, but
1: I got an autographed
0: copy, so I'm pretty stoked. Well, Sandy, thanks for coming on and sharing the story. For everybody who's, who's listening, uh, thank you for following. Subscribe. We got more fun stuff coming up. This was a heavy topic, but I'm glad we had the conversation. Did I catch you there? Did I lose you? Yeah,
1: we yeah. did. I'm sorry. Okay.
0: I was just going to say thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And thank you for the conversation. Bit. Okay. I All I was saying was thank you for the conversation. And it. thank you for thank sharing. Thank you very it. much. All right. We'll <laughs> see you.